As you're being seated, if you will find your Bible, open it up, turn it on. If you're old school, take out your stone tablets. And we will be in Luke chapter 5 today, beginning in verse 27, as we continue to walk through the life of Jesus. Now, we're not exactly sure when it happened. Levi had likely grown up there on the lake. When he was a young man, he and Simon played football for the Capernaum Flying Fish, and they uh, led the team to the first province championship in over 50 years. Whenever he was a young man growing up, just like everybody there in the area, he despised Rome. He had seen where they would come and take things that didn't belong to them. He had experienced their violence. He had heard the suffering of prisoners who were dying on crosses outside the city gates. He had watched as women in the community were violated by the Roman soldiers. He had also experienced the corruption of the religious class. In Levi's day, there in Judaism, there were two political or religious parties. They were kind of intertwined. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees, and both of them had twisted Judaism into something that was really unrecognizable. And so here was the result. Levi had developed a heart of stone, and his worldview had become very, very secular. Now, I know that there's somebody in this room who can relate to Levi, Because through the course of your life, you have become sickened by the corruption that is around you, the injustice that seems to take place in people's life, the selfishness and pride that people live with, and all of this has contributed to you having this uneasiness within you. Usually there's about one of three reactions to a corrupt society. Some people say, well, I'm going to fight against it. I'll speak out, I'll act out, I'm going to fight against the corruption that's in my society. Some say, I'm just going to retreat. I'm going to keep a low profile, I'm going to live under the radar, I'm going to have some close friends and family, and those will be my people and I'll just live my life quietly. Some get sucked up in the corruption themselves and they just become part of of the problem. Well, Levi surrendered his soul. Levi became corrupt. He became part of the societal problem. Along the way, he found an opportunity to make money, and he bought a tax franchise. Now, if you'll remember from history, the Roman Empire was uh, at its largest uh, scope during the time of Jesus a very powerful, large empire. And what they would do whenever they conquered an area is they would come in with their army, they would conquer you, they would take what they wanted and who they wanted, and then they would let those that still were alive, they would let you pretty well live your life and go about your business so long as you did not cause civil unrest and so long as you paid an extreme amount of taxes to keep the empire going. So they would sell these franchises to local people that they felt like they could trust and use, and they became chief tax collectors. And these chief tax collectors were responsible for coming up with a certain amount of revenue each month for the Roman Empire. 
In order to make this happen, the chief tax collectors would also hire underlings that would go to the various places of commerce, and they would tax people on the spot. So the underlings were responsible to bring so much money to the chief tax collectors, and then the chief tax collectors had to bring so much money to Rome. And you can imagine it became a very sordid, corrupt, mafia-like business, and these guys could tax people just about as much as they wanted, so long as they didn't cause civil unrest. And so they became very, very wealthy, And they were totally hated by everybody because they were almost always local people who had become tax collectors. They were considered traitors. They were considered the lowest of the low. And spiritually, they were considered beyond the reach of God's grace. He could not help them. So Levi was a tax collector, and he landed what would be probably his dream job. He became the tax collector there in Capernaum. More than likely, where he grew up, in Capernaum, there was a thriving fishing and farming business. They had enough to provide food for themselves, and they also had enough to sell that food and those goods to those people that came into the community. There in Capernaum, there was a convergence of roads, the roads that led to the inner part of Asia and Damascus. They met there at Capernaum. The roads that led down to Jerusalem and Egypt, they met at Capernaum. And because of that, it was a thriving city. There were always a lot of RVs. There were always a lot of pickup trucks with ladders in the back parked outside of the Capernaum Walmart. People were coming and going all the time. But before a fisherman could go home in the evening, before a traveler could go on to the next destination, they had to stop by Levi's tax office and pay the tax or face the axe. He became very powerful very wealthy. And Levi, I imagine, was living large. He had a new Tesla chariot. He had a house on the lake. He was a VIP at Trulux. He had the Apple Watch 2 prototype before it even hit the market. Levi was living large. He had a lot of stuff. But like a lot of us, Levi was busy on the outside, but empty on the inside. And that's when Jesus showed up. Jesus spent a lot of time in Levi's community. And Jesus began preaching a different kind of message. The message of Jesus was was saturated with grace and faith instead of religious ritual. Instead of do this and do that and obey this, Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. He spoke of spiritual freedom as superior to earthly things. Sitting at the tax table there by the lake, Levi saw the day where Simon's nets were overflowed with fish because of the great miracle that Jesus had accomplished. Levi knew the paralytic man who was healed by Jesus. And as Jesus taught Levi felt his heart strangely warmed to his message. And then one morning, Jesus himself came by the tax office. You can imagine the scene, Levi sitting sitting at the table, big burly guys standing around him. Probably looked like a scene out of The Godfather. But Jesus didn't come to ask a favor. Jesus came to extend his favor to a man who was envied by all 
but loved by none. A man who was outwardly affluent, but inwardly impoverished. The story begins in verse 27 of Luke chapter 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Now notice what Jesus called Levi to do. He said to him what? Follow me. He didn't say, give me. He didn't say, learn this. He didn't say, pay here. He didn't say, obey these. He didn't say, attend this. He came to Levi and he said, follow me. You see, Jesus calls us to follow Him because He is the one who has the power and the ability to make us new. Now, this is one of the defining concepts in the teaching of Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, okay, here's my teachings, go do this. Jesus said, follow me. Whenever you are following the Savior of Scripture, that's whenever you'll be able to follow the teachings of Scripture. But it begins by you knowing and following the Savior. And so Jesus comes to Levi. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. Now, Levi finds himself at one of those turning point moments in life. This past week, Stacy and I celebrated 19 years of marital bliss. Well, about three months into our dating relationship, we reached one of those turning points. I was beginning to realize that my feelings for her were getting stronger. And there was this point where I had to decide, am I going to continue pushing forward in this relationship and experience these feelings that I had never experienced before, or am I going to retreat in fear and, and move away from it? And there was kind of this, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but this was really going to be a defining critical point in my life. You say, well, Lash, what did you do? Come on, right? We're married. Right? So we pushed through. And that decision to continue in that relationship, it has become one of the very defining points of my life. Sometimes in life, we face these turning point moments. And what you decide is going to shape the trajectory of your life from there on out. And that's where Levi was. Jesus had come to him face to face, this man who would demand things of others. And Jesus had stood at the table and said, follow me. So Levi What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, verse 28 says, So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Levi left everything behind. He left his money. He left his business. He left his life. He left his corruption. He left his emptiness. He left his sin in order to do the one thing that Jesus had asked of him, follow. And I think that Jesus saved his soul. Levi becomes Matthew, the author of the first gospel. Matthew means a gift of God. I think Jesus changed him, forgave him of his past, forgave him of his sins, and created within him a new heart. Jesus called him to be a part 
of the 12 disciples. And so Levi had a front row seat to the ministry, miracles, and teachings of Jesus. Levi would grow up, or not grow up, Levi, as, as Jesus resurrected and ascended, Levi would be part of the disciples that changed the world through the planting of the New Testament church. Levi also became a witness. You see, whenever Jesus saves us, he also calls us to be a, witnesses, a witness of his glory and to share with others what has happened to us. And so Levi becomes a witness of the power of following Jesus, and that's where things got sticky. In verse 29, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. So Levi decides, uh, I'm going to hold a massive party at my place so that everybody can meet Jesus. Now, the only problem with this is that all of Levi's friends were tax collectors. All of Levi's friends were kind of sordid people. And so the guest list at that party included people like uh, Tony Soprano, Michael Corleone, Al Capone, special musical guest Lash and the Paul Bears came and sing some. And so Levi sends out an Evite to Jesus, inviting Jesus, the Lord, to this party. And Jesus RSVPs and says, I'm coming. And not only am I coming, but I'm going to bring my disciples too. So there is Levi sitting in his home with all these people despised by society, all these wealthy, corrupt individuals sitting there in Levi's home, eating and talking and celebrating with Jesus, the Son of God. And in the middle of all this, the tax collector revival breaks out. Lives are being changed. I mean, what happens there at Levi's house is so incredible that it's included in the pages of Scripture. Paul Reed is breaking out in my chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace, and the whole place is singing, the whole place is alive, everyone is excited, but then the music stops, and the God police show up. Verse 30 says, but the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Now, what would these religious people be complaining about at this wonderful event where lives are being changed? They said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the Pharisees were the kind of individuals that take the fun out of fundamentalism. They wanted everybody to adhere to the Old Testament law. But not only did you, they want you to follow the law, 
they were constantly going beyond what the Bible taught and creating new laws. They didn't honor the spirit of Scripture, but they tried to take God's revelation to us and turn it into a legalistic system whereby if you did this, this, and this, God would love you. And they had these minions, the scribes. The scribes would write down Scripture. The scribes would also write down the teachings of the Pharisees. And they would write down violators who were violating the teachings of the Pharisees. And so these these guys, they crashed the party. And rather than being happy that lives are being changed, rather than being happy that grace is shining light into the darkest of hearts, they're complaining. They're upset. How dare Jesus eat dinner with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners? Now, FYI, in case you did not know this, we still see Phariseeism today. When lives are beginning to change, when people are coming to the Lord and being saved, when the church is not just focusing on uh, ourselves, but whenever we start focusing on our community and the world and the need that is out there, when we start taking the gospel to people, when we start crossing over cultural boundaries, when we start uh, 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 representing the diversity of our community, whenever the gospel is being preached and the Word of God is being studied, there are still some who would rather complain than rejoice. There will always be skeptics. There will always be cynics. There will always be Pharisees. Now, I don't expect us as a church to always agree on everything. There's room for disagreements, and in those disagreements, grace must always abound. Grace is the greatest gift that God has ever given us, and we must be willing to extend it to others as well. But I also want you to understand, if you come to Murphy Church and your goal is to fight and criticize and to tear apart, and all you want to do is complain, and you don't get excited whenever the gospel is spoken and whenever lives are being changed, and you don't get on board with the idea that we support missions and that we want to go cross-cultural and we want to go cross-geographical boundaries and share the gospel. If all you want to do is build a kingdom to yourself, please don't make this your church. I have some churches I can recommend to you where you'll fit in really well. But we're going to be a church that's about the gospel. We're going to be a church that whenever we see lives changing and hearts coming alive to Jesus Christ, we're going to rejoice in that. We're going to breathe in God's grace and breathe out God's praise. And we're going to be about the gospel and we're going to do some radical things around here. We're going to pray and read the Bible and try to do what it says. I know that's crazy, isn't it? I know, I know. But make sure you hear this, okay? Never let a Pharisee rob you of the joy of following Jesus. Did you catch that? Don't let a Pharisee rob you of the joy of following Jesus. Well, Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, what's interesting 
is that the Pharisees thought that Levi and his friends were beyond hope. Their thought was that God could never love them. And Jesus points out, the ones who are really beyond hope are the ones who think they're perfect on their own. You Pharisees, you're the ones that are beyond hope because you don't think you need God's forgiveness. You don't understand that you are desolate in need of God's grace. Pride and selfishness are the eternal enemies of Jesus. Repentance and faith are His eternal friends. Pride and selfishness stand outside grace door complaining. Repentance and faith are welcomed guests of grace. Pride and selfishness grow into a vicious cancer leading to death. Repentance and faith find gracious forgiveness leading to life. Pride and selfishness shackle you to a life where your thirst for stuff is never quenched. But repentance and faith liberate you to a life where the joy in your soul can never be quenched. Do you understand that you don't have to stay the same? You say, Lash, you don't know my story. I've done things of which I'm ashamed. I've, I've been done wrong. I've been burned. My life's been hard. I smile on the outside, but inside I feel hopeless. I don't pretend to know all of your pain, but I do know this. You don't have to stay that way. Just like Levi, God can change you. Ezekiel talks about the man who had a heart of stone, but he also talks about how God can remove that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh He can give you a new heart, a new life, a new perspective. See, God cleans up the outside of your life, but He starts on the inside. And I don't care how far away from God you have moved. You are not beyond the reach of God's grace. He can change you, and you can begin again, and you can be set free to really start living. Do you understand that that person in your life that everybody thinks is hopeless is not beyond the reach of God's grace? That child that you pray for each and every night who's kind of turned to his own way, who's no longer honoring God, you raised them in church, you tried to teach them right and wrong, but now... They just seem to be drifting and doing whatever they want to do. And every night you pray for them and you long to see them come home. That child can leave the pig pen and he can come home to the grace of God and find the opened arms of the Father welcoming him. That friend that you talk to that confides in you and talks about the depth of their pain the depths of their loneliness and depression. He's not beyond the grace of God. That neighbor that you have 
who speaks a different language, who has experienced and knows a different culture, that neighbor that you talk to in passing, that's in bondage to a religion of works, who day after day gets up and tries to be good enough to be loved and appreciated by their God, but can never do enough. She's not beyond the reach of grace. And just like Levi, you and I can be ministers in the brokenness. You and I can be a voice of grace that speaks the love of the gospel into a world that has been numbed by the noise of hedonism. You can be an interceder that calls out to God asking for His healing and His power to be revealed. You can be that person who lives your life with the living water of Jesus Christ flowing in your words and your actions and your thoughts to such a degree that you draw people to the cross of Jesus Christ instead of repelling them away from the cross with a toxic anger. Whenever your life submits to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit begins indwelling you and and producing within you His fruit, then there's a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness, a faithfulness, a gentleness, a self-control that flows within you. And though others may not understand it, they want it. And it draws people to the cross. And when people are drawn to the cross, they begin again. When people are drawn to the cross, life change takes place. And God transforms them from the inside out. So there's Levi. This man who had spent his entire life sitting at the tax collector's table, stealing from other people, is now sitting at the table eating with the Lord taking in the grace of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. He prepares the table, he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. All of that imagery there was the imagery of a host welcoming a guest who prepares a table before him, even though there are enemies on the outside complaining and criticizing people that think that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. The Lord prepares a table before you. He anoints your head with oil, symbolizing the presence of the Spirit, symbolizing the renewal in your life. And your cup overflows because as long as the cup is filled, The host wants the guest to remain. And so the conclusion is this. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I love the way the King James words it. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Levi is not the only one at the Lord's table. There's room for you. There's room for me. There's room for your neighbor, for your friend, for your family member. There's room for all of us. We must be willing to leave where we are 
and follow Jesus. Would you be so kind as to bow your head right where you're sitting? Let me ask you this question. Is today the day that Jesus shows up in your life and says to you, follow me? I want you to follow me. I want you to be, I want you to be mine. Perhaps God's been working in your life of late. And like Levi, you felt your heart strangely warmed to the story of the gospel. And right now is that defining moment where you need to repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ. You say, Lash, I've grown up in church. I've, I've come to church for a long time. I'm not asking you about your spiritual resume. I'm asking you, has there ever been a time in your life where you truly gave your heart to Jesus and followed Him? And if not... Will you make this moment that time right where you're sitting between you and God? Say to him, Father, I I repent of my sins. I ask your forgiveness and I am placing my life. I'm placing my faith totally in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I'm going to follow him and I ask, Lord, that you will change me from the inside out so that I might reveal Christ to others. And I mark this moment as that moment of new beginning in my life where I experience salvation. If that's you today, I celebrate with you. In fact, if that's you today, right now, everybody's head's bowed. Nobody's looking around. I would just like to know. Lash, this is the moment where I became a follower of Christ. I won't embarrass you or anything of that nature. I just want to know, would you just lift your hand right where you are? This was my moment where I became a follower of Christ. I would just like to celebrate with you. In this room today, there are a lot of people who know Christ as Lord and Savior. But there's people in your life that need you. They need you to reach out to them and extend grace their way. And so I ask you right now to identify a couple people in your life that you can reach out to. Friends, neighbors, co-workers, people you go to school with. Who is it that the Holy Spirit's bringing to your mind? Would you pray for them? Ask God to give you opportunity? Heavenly Father, we pray for those that are in our lives that have not yet experienced and tasted of the goodness of your grace. We pray, Lord that you might use our life to reach out to them and that we will see life being changed. And whenever we see that take place in others, may we rejoice. Help us, Lord, not to get stuck in complaining and Phariseeism. Help us, Lord, not to become part of the corruption and the darkness. But, Lord, help us to be light that shines into the darkness and draws people to your cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.